different uh, book for a little bit. So uh, just to introduce the book to you, First Peter was uh, likely written between 60 and 65 A.D., quite early, um, about uh, within 30 years of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Uh, and he is writing likely from the city of Rome. He identifies it later in chapter 5 as saying he's writing from Babylon. And so we, we interpret that to mean he's uh, sort of writing in a bit of a, a way for us to understand that he's talking about Babylon in a, a negative light. And he's writing from there as that he's in exile, uh, just like all Christians live in exile in this modern world or in this world that we live in today. Uh, and he's writing to Christians who are primarily in Asia Minor, which is the province of, uh, which is modern day Turkey. And he's probably writing mostly to, to Gentiles. Which is interesting because the language he uses here in chapter, in verse 1, he says that there are elect exiles of the dispersion. And that's language that's often used to describe Jewish, uh, those who are of Jewish heritage, the Jewish faith who are dispersed or spread out in a certain area. But Peter is writing to these Gentiles and he is identifying them with the same term because they are God's people in the same way that Israel were God's people in the Old Testament, to some degree in the New. And he uses this idea throughout all of 1 Peter to, to explain to us what it means to be sojourners or resident aliens, strangers in a world that is not our home, and particularly those who were residents in cities uh, in, in, the ancient, uh, in the ancient world, um, but not citizens would not have the same rights and privileges that citizens do have. We, it's kind of like that here today, isn't it? You know, if, you're, if you are a, an immigrant here and you are seeking to become a citizen, you know there are certain things you can do and can't do. In particular, you can't say vote in national elections, right? That's just a, this one example. And Peter uses this idea of not having all of your rights as a temporary resident in this world to help us understand what it means to be Christians Again, in a world that is not our home. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to see three things in particular from this passage that I hope will be encouraging for you. Because I, I have been encouraged in writing this sermon and encouraged um, in preparing the one for this evening as well. And uh, so the first thing I want us to see is that you have been set apart. The second thing I want us to see is that you have been called into a living hope. And the third thing I want you to see is that you have been given an imperishable inheritance. An imperishable inheritance. So let's look at our first point here together. You have been set apart. Peter begins this text by talking about this idea of election. And there's a lot that has been written and said over the countless years that our faith has uh, existed from time immemorial unto the present. But what Peter wants us to see here principally is that God has set people apart, his people, just like he set Israel apart in the Old Testament. He invites you as people in this world to be set apart and place their trust in Jesus Christ. And in that being set apart, he has, God has a special purpose for you, for his people. And so, what is the purpose God has set you apart for? There are a few things we can see in this purpose. The first part 
of the purpose of God setting you apart is to display his own glory in your salvation. God is displaying his own glory in your salvation. What does that mean? Well, when we look at verse 2, we see these words, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. God's glory on display. He is showing us how he saves us by explaining to us who he is. We see all three persons of the Trinity on display in this passage. Father, Son, and Spirit are all at work in your salvation. God the Father at work in calling or choosing. Not calling, sorry. Choosing. Uh, foreknowledge. This idea of election. The Spirit here at work. Setting you apart. Sanctifying you. Sanctifying you. Setting you apart. That's what that word sanctification means. And uh, what is that sanctification for? It's for obedience to Jesus Christ. And for sprinkling with his blood. For sprinkling with his blood. There is Old Testament satisfaction language. That when a sacrifice is offered and its blood is put on the altar... That the sins of the people would be forgiven in the same way you, in a way, have become that altar and received the blood of Christ. And because you have received it, you have been forgiven. But I want you to see the glory of God on display in salvation. I also want you to see the second part of that purpose, which is your purity and obedience. Your purity and obedience. The Trinity is at work in your salvation and they are giving, God is giving you the strength to obey his commands. Where do we see that here? We see the work of the Holy Spirit here. The Spirit is in your heart if you are trusting in Jesus Christ. And he gives you the strength to obey. He has set you apart for obedience. So it's not only your purpose to obey, but something you are capable of doing because you have received the Spirit of God. Receive the Holy Spirit. We can have confidence as well that when we do sin, the blood of Christ has already been sprinkled on you and you have been forgiven. You have been forgiven to turn to the Lord and say, God, I've sinned. Forgive me. And to not have to fear whether he will say yes or no. But that he has already loved and accepted you and calls you his beloved child. You have been adopted. And Peter teases this idea out. And we'll look at it some more in just a minute. But you have been adopted into the family of God. You have been welcomed. And this, these things impact us today because the reality of your salvation is that you have been set free from sin and shame. And Peter invites you to live your life with the promise that you are able to fight against sin and be victorious. That you are able to live in a world that hates you and be courageous and know that this world is not your home. That you can know for a matter of a fact that there is no temptation that can come into your life that you cannot resist by the power of God.
that lives inside of you, his own spirit. And that same God who has supplied you with all of this has called you by name and cleansed you in his power and empowered you to live for him. The last thing I want you to see here is this end of Peter's greeting. He says, uh, the third thing here is a result. This is a result of your salvation, that the grace and peace of God is multiplied in your life, that you receive it. And that as this grace and peace comes into your heart, and the more it grows, the further it goes, that it multiplies, that it is yours. And I gave this illustration at Crossway a few uh, weeks ago, this idea that, that say, Claire Byrne appears on screen here, and, you know, it's not 601, but whatever. The news is here now, and it's important. And she lets everybody in this room know that the world is actually much larger than you think that it is. In fact, they've just discovered that beyond uh, the, the gap in the Pacific Ocean between Japan and the, and the west coast of North America, there is a massive expanse of sea that was not there before, and there are new countries, and there are new places, there are new worlds to see, places to, to enjoy God's glory, to, to, um, to rejoice, to explore, and no one lives there that places to discover. And that's exactly, that, that sense of adventure, that sense of um, overwhelming newness, that excitement, is what takes place in your heart as the grace and peace of God is multiplied in you. That the further it goes, the more you experience God's love. The more you experience God's grace for you, God's, God's peace for you. That there is no anxiety that you have. For me right now particularly is housing. And I know a lot of you probably feel that same way. But when the peace of God touches that, even that, thing that, the, as we sang earlier, the deepest, darkest pit the world can throw at you, you will find the Son of God is there with you, even in the midst of that difficulty. So whatever it may be, particularly these people Peter is writing to are suffering persecution. He says to them, grace and peace be multiplied to you, even in the midst of your struggle. My second point here is that you have been called into a living hope. What is a living hope? What does that mean? Peter tells us here that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our hope is certain. Because Christ lives, your hope lives. Because Christ was raised from the dead, you can have confidence that you too will be raised from the dead. Peter wants you to know what this living hope is, this expectation. There's a, a Bible translator and commentator called Craig Keener. He uses the word expectation to communicate this idea. Expectation. What's hope? Hope can be kind of a, an idea in our minds, but today in our world, it, we use the word hope so much that it can kind of lose some of its meaning. So he says there's an expectation. There's an expectation of this, this salvation that we have received. It's going to happen. This hope is yours. This expectation is yours because Christ lives. An expectation of salvation, expectation of eternal life, of resurrection. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, you too will be raised for the dead 
from the dead. And Peter then goes on into this, um, a lot of you guys are uh, studying English. I know uh, I was talking with uh, Enrique and Stephanie and, and some others who are studying English here from Brazil. And uh, you, have you been introduced to the idea of a run-on sentence? No, maybe you have a run-on sentence. Just a big, long sentence that just goes and goes. It's too long, and it's lots of ideas. They're all kind of crammed together. And Peter's response to the truth of God's great mercy, the truth of this living hope, is uh, Peter's response is to just go on a run-on sentence of how incredible God is and how amazing his mercy is, how it overwhelms us. Peter bursts into praise. And so I want to ask you this morning, when you recall the, the amazing reality of your salvation that, that we celebrated at Easter and that our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters are celebrating this morning as Easter, that when we reflect on the reality of the resurrection and the fact that our hope lives because Jesus Christ lives, do you burst into praise? Does your heart sing with joy? Does your heart sing with, jo with joy? Do you rejoice with Peter? I would invite you this morning to rejoice because your hope is alive. And I would also invite you, brothers and, Christ uh, brothers and sisters, to cling to this resurrection, not just as an idea, but as a fact of history on which all of the ages turn. That God became man and died in your place, was raised and is with his Father in heaven now. And that because that is true, your hope is alive. You rejoice. Rejoice, even in the midst of suffering. Cling to the resurrection. My third point for you is that you have an imperishable inheritance. You have an imperishable inheritance. And when we talk about inheritances in our world today, we often think about the idea of getting something at a great cost. That in order to receive an inheritance, someone we love dearly must die. Peter teases out this idea of an inheritance here, but he uh, says a few things about it that are a bit different than what we expect an inheritance to mean now. But I want to bring in that idea of what you think of when I say an inheritance and, and kind of help us to understand this text better by bringing those two ideas together. Hope that makes sense. So, God has given you an inheritance. That's what I want to see. Here, want us to see here. God has given you an inheritance. He tells you, Peter tells us that God has birthed us again. He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus into a living hope. So that means that we have been born into the family of God. This is adoption birthing language. God has brought us into his family. And because you are part of God's family, you have received the right to an inheritance. Received the right to an inheritance. But it comes at great cost. That cost is the death of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I know that 
the idea of a dear family member passing away and leaving me something, uh, I'm grateful that they thought of me and they left me a gift. But I would trade it all to have them back with me today. And I think of this in particular because we just found out recently that my mother's mother, my grandmother has been diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer, very aggressive form of cancer. And I don't want to lose her. And if she were to leave me anything, I would give it back immediately just to have a moment with her again. But Christian, this morning, the truth is that the greatest person who has ever lived, the kindest, gentlest, most caring person, the dearest person you ever met, died in your place. And you do not have to weep and mourn because that same God, that Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, has risen from the dead. And so you not only have the joy of an eternal, imperishable, unfading inheritance, but you have an eternal audience with your dear brother, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for you in love and invites you into fellowship with him. You get the inheritance and you get the person who gave it to you at the same time forever. And I was writing this and I I could just, I was just praising the Lord because I love, I love God's plan of redemption. I love God's plan for your life to save you, to set you apart, to give you an imperishable, incredible inheritance and then say, but you don't lose me because you get it. You get me forever. And the inheritance is far better than we could ask for in this life. But the God who gives it is better still. What is this inheritance? What, is its be- what are its benefits? The inheritance, Peter tells us, is the salvation that Christians receive. The freedom from darkness of sin and the freedom from fear of punishment apart from God in hell. John Calvin describes this passage, and he says, as Peter describes this inheritance, he says every single word he uses is weighty, that it builds up and builds up and builds up until it erupts in praise, until we erupt in praise, until Peter erupts in praise. That this inheritance, your salvation, is imperishable. As I've said, it never runs out. It does not does not ever, you can't get to the end of a bottomless bank account. You can't get to the end of an eternal God's salvation for you because he goes on forever. You too are invited to go on into a life that lasts forever. Peter tells us that this is undefiled, that it cannot be stolen. It cannot be tampered with. Satan cannot come in and snatch you away from the Father. Your salvation is certain because it is undefiled. It is in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. Thieves cannot break in and steal, steal, as the Lord Jesus says. And it is unfading. It is always new and it is constantly renewed. It is always and forever this inheritance. And so this inheritance is your salvation. It goes on forever. It has no expiration date. It does not end. I want you to rejoice in that this morning. And lastly, I want you to see that the incredible benefit of inheritance, of this inheritance, is the expectation of your salvation. The expectation 
of your salvation. Because this salvation will be revealed to all people, not just to you or not just the Christians, but to everyone. Peter tells us that the Lord Jesus will return in the last time and this salvation will be revealed. That Christ will come back to us in the same way that he left and all the principalities and powers that oppress and destroy and harm Christians will see the return of the Lord Jesus and they will weep and mourn because they have not themselves repented and trusted the same God they see coming on the clouds This inheritance is certain. There is no question in the New Testament about whether Jesus Christ will return or not. It is a fact. And so just as we wait for his return, know that as sure as God promises something, he will do it. Jesus promised he would come back because he promised that. And it is his return is here connected with your salvation. You can know it will happen and there is no question. That is inspiring. That is incredibly uplifting. That is so encouraging. And as you go into your week, I pray, and I pray this for myself as well as I pray for you, that you would see the need of those around you, that you would remember the need of those in Limerick and in Castlebar, that you will remember the need of those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ or that have and have ignored it that we would call our beloved friends, our family, our co-workers to trust in this same Lord who has promised to save his people and never breaks his promises. And tonight we're going to talk more about this in Castle Troy, but all of these things that we face now, whether it is uh, something we're struggling with, a sin we are entangled with, or it is a serious, organized act of persecution by a world government. Peter says that we can rejoice, even in the midst of this suffering, because it will be only a brief time. It is so brief, this life. In the, in the, in the, in the view of an eternal inheritance, I invite you this evening to count the cost, or this morning, sorry, I'm used to speaking in the evening, you can tell, <laughs> to count the cost and to, to engage your dear friends and neighbors with the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of 1 Peter, and thank you for the joy it is to, to speak. God, we pray that as we go into the world, that you would help us to love it, but not be of it. That you would help us to share your good word, your gospel with others. And that you would strengthen us and empower us, God, to fight against sin because you have empowered us to do that. To remember that we have been forgiven because we have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. And that you, Father, have called us, chosen us out of the world to make us a people for your own possession. In Jesus' name.